0: Hello, 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 drama listeners, as RuPaul and Valerie Cherish from The Comeback like to say. Happy Pride Month to everyone, and also happy Tony's Week. We are chronicling the awards on our Patreon. As you all know, we did predictions. We're we're doing final predictions as well on another podcast that's coming out this week called Backstage Talk, which we'll, of course, put the link all over our social media. But this time is integral in supporting the arts, and we really hope that you will consider supporting our podcast through the Patreon, which is called Drama Plus. So if you do that, you'll get extra behind the scenes, Tony's thoughts and bonus episodes and more fun this month of June. And honestly, year round. Also, you get to be added to our close friends on Instagram. Connor and I are having so much fun. We're coming up on our 200th episode of Drama later this summer, which more of that will be coming soon. And Connor and I just want to say thank you for all of the support that you give us year round. And especially this month of June, where you support these two gays, putting on a podcast, putting on a show for you all. It means the world. If you wouldn't mind leaving us a nice review on Apple Podcasts, it's been a minute since we've gotten one. And it really helps us as a podcast if there's more reviews out there. And that includes the ratings as well. All right. This episode is phenomenal. It includes the director and the playwright of Prima Facey, which is this incredible new play that was on the West End. Now it's on Broadway starring Jodie Comer from Killing Eve. We have a fascinating, enlightening, and honestly joyful talk today. And I think you all are going to love it. Thank you again. And we'll get on with the show. Press play, curtain of an hour in. It's time to take in the shade and tea to spill. Ooh, drama. oh that's a tweet did they book who got numb the option no oh, i'm not well what, what star will we talk, talk to today oh that's a gag honey say no more drama. drama drama welcome to drama a podcast that covers theater pop culture love and life i am connor mcdowell and I am Dylan McDowell. It is the most wonderful time of the year, Connor. It is the Tonys week. By the time that this comes out, there'll only be what four or five days until the actual ceremony. That's crazy. I feel like we've been talking about this well for a year. Pretty huge. I would say we have. The new season has actually already started. Begun. There's some new. There's a new musical and a new play that have already opened on Broadway for next year. But That's this will wild. mark the end of this time. And I have to say, it has been one of my favorite seasons over the last decade oh 100 it's so packed with mm-hmm. i mean beyond not only new stuff that's been coming maybe from the west end but new stuff that's been popping up on broadway new plays new musicals but also exciting replacements and shows that have already been running yeah. it's just been a really. F- fun time i think everyone's found a reason to run to the theater for sure and um we did talk about our tony predictions we Mm -hmm. guested on backstage talk the podcast that'll be coming out this week so if anyone's wondering our final predictions before the tony awards you can go check that out we'll of course post it on our socials and then next week we'll be breaking down our reactions to the tony awards right here on drama and the ceremony which we're still not clear on what the ceremony is going to be since it's It's going to be different than years past. It's not allowed to be scripted. I've seen some things going on online that they are allowed to have an outline of what will ultimately be said, but it has to be written the day of. So it's going to be very interesting. I don't know what's actually happening. I do know that Ariana DeBose is still hosting in some capacity. Maybe my dreams are dashed that she's going to do another rap a la the BAFTA's performance. I still legendary the BAFTA's rap that she had where she sang out the names of Hong Chow, Dolly D, Carrie, and Carrie with a C- (laughs) all the time so i'm keeping that alive oh my god we do have some very thrilling guests who were a part of this broadway season and i can't believe how lucky we got because i'm actually nervous today i feel like oh my god i feel i feel nervous because i feel like we are in the presence of, of geniuses Period. Mm -hmm. And also we're finding them at very different times and even Mm -hmm. during different days on the calendar, which is Mm -hmm. kind of crazy to say out loud, but it's late at night, it's early morning. And I'm thrilled that they decided to do this with us. I'm going to read the first person's bio and then Dylan, you do the second. I would love that. So... Our guests today are the incredible playwright and director of the four-time Tony Award-nominated and two-time Olivier Award-winning play, Prima Facie*. The writer of this piece, Susie Miller, has a background in law with experience as a human rights and children's rights lawyer. She's now a full-time theater writer with award-winning plays under her pen, including Caress slash Sunset Strip, Dust, Sold, The Mathematics of Longing, A Feminist Medea, Reasonable Doubt, Driving Into Walls, and Cross Sections. Susie won the Australian Writers Guild and Kit Denton Fellowship for Writing and Courage in 2008, as well as collected a recognition for this play at the 2020 Australian Writers Guild Award for Drama. The 2020 David Williamson Award for Outstanding Theater Writing and the 2020 prestigious Major Australian Writers Guild Award across all categories of theater, film, and television. Whoa. Based out of London, she's currently adapting it for the screen with Cynthia Revo as Tess, Miss Miller's work as a playwright, librettist and screenwriter who explores human injustices. Joining this phenomenal playwright is the brilliant director behind Prima Facie, Justin Martin. This award-winning theater, film and television director has been behind the magic of so many of our favorite pieces over the years, along with his frequent collaborator, Stephen Daldry. Justin co-directed The Jungle, Together, for BBC Films, starring Man Crush Always, James McAvoy, and Sharon Horgan, and associate-directed Connor's favorite play, The Inheritance, Skylight, starring Bill Nye and Carrie Mulligan, The Audience, starring Helen Mirren and Kristen Scott Thomas in The West End and on Broadway, and Billy Elliot, the musical. Recently, Justin directed The Lovers, a six-part series, and worked on seasons one and two of The Crown, as well as the upcoming Stranger Things, The First Shadow. His critically acclaimed production of Low Level Panic sold out twice at the Galway Theatre Festival before touring Ireland and Australia. Justin has won an OB, a Southbank Sky Arts Award, and a Broadway World Award for Best Direction. His work with refugees through Good Chance Theater and upcoming television and film projects are sure to keep his extraordinary body of work expanding. Please welcome to drama, Susie Susie Miller Miller and and Justin Justin Martin. Martin. Hello. I'm exhausted. I must just admit. (laughs) Hello. Talk about an introduction. Welcome to drama. We are thrilled to have both of you here.
1: Thank you. We're so excited to be here, aren't we, Justin? I've woken up extra early. Justin stayed up extra late just because we want to hang out with you guys.
0: (laughs) Oh my goodness. It's an honor. Seriously. Truly an honor. And I know Susie, you just woke up and Justin, you're about to hit the hay, (laughs) but I'm wondering, we ask all of our guests this to start out our conversations. How are you both doing? Are you well? Ladies
1: first. Oh, yeah. Yeah, really well <laughs> like it's just been such a ride i have to say and um i'm missing new york desperately at the moment i know justin's just been there but hope hoping to get back before the show closes
2: yeah and i'm good i'm great i've just had a great dive in a workshop for a uh, for stranger things and uh very excited about that and so yeah it's exciting and i always you know joyous to see susie
0: <laughs> <"S-> Yeah I know well, earlier Thanks. earlier beforehand you called Susie and she said well I'll, I'd only pick up for you so
1: <laughs> It's so true but honestly I was sound asleep so I need just <laughs> to wake me up from my slumber um, but yeah no seriously he's, he's like my drama husband in a way
0: Ah <laughs> that's so special How did you two How did you
1: two meet Oh, well, that, I'll let Justin talk about that one because it's a funny story, actually.
2: Susie uh, had just arrived in England for a trip with her family and she came and saw The Jungle. And anybody that can sit through a show when they've got extreme jet lag from Australia and, you know, still enjoy it, it with says a lot. With so,
1: teenagers. With teenagers.
2: With her teenagers. And she uh, wanted to meet the it. who'd made it, really got into the show, and I think the ethos behind the show, and wanted to meet... The people involved in it. And we had a mutual friend who introduced us, but we could only meet on the last day of Susie's trip. And she was on her way to the airport. And I rang her and I said, What airport? And she said, Heathrow. And I was like, I I actually am on the way to Heathrow. Why don't we just have a coffee while you're on your way? So she 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 did make it for her flight, but she did <laughs> delay. She went a little bit earlier and we were able to have a coffee with all her suitcases in this tiny little cafe. And it was brilliant. I'll never forget it because...
1: Uh, I'm an overpacker too. Like I was worried about how many, how much luggage I had. So yeah, we really were surrounded by luggage.
2: <laughs> I'm so glad it happened because I just met somebody that I just connected with on a very human and theatrical level. And if I could do everything with Susie, I would. She's a genius.
1: <laughs> and vice versa.
2: Oh, I can set the scene so
0: perfectly. That first conversation, were there any... Early seeds planted of an idea or a project or something that you maybe wanted to work on, or was it this piece? Yeah, it that we're going to discuss today.
1: It was this piece. Justin just said, "What are you working on?" I said, "I've just had a show on in Australia. I'm looking like I'm talking to producers, and he. I told him what it was about, and he had instant, incredible connection about the piece, but also ideas." that I went, oh, he really gets what I want to do with it. He really gets the scale. He really gets the kind of the impact I want to make with it. And, you know, he just was so enthusiastic. But also Justin's the kind of guy, like even right now, (laughs) where he really listens to women. And I felt very heard about exactly what I wanted to do with it. And he got very excited about what was possible with that and just said, you know, I'd really love to be part of it. Let me read it. So... He read it. And then I spoke to the producer who then said, yeah, I want to produce it. I said, I've already got a director attached. <laughs> it's Justin. And then it was very organic, actually, guys. It was incredible.
0: It sounds like it. I love to hear that. Was there any hesitancy? Um, actually, before we dive into like the specifics about the play, do one of you mind giving our listeners a really quick description of what the play or like a little tease about what it's about? Okay. Go, Sid.
1: Okay. It's about a criminal barrister who is young and savvy and very cool. She And she's a working class kid made good that's just like brilliant and gotten through law school and is now like on top of her game. She represents everyone, especially people accused of sexual assault she's really good at it and she just believes in the law. And so, you know, you see her in action and then you see that, she goes out on a date that with someone she really likes and then something really horrific happens and she endures a sexual assault and she takes it to the criminal justice system because she's the best possible witness and we watch her go through that system and be completely dehumanised and interrogated and cut to pieces, really. And at the end, there's a sort of a sort of call for change. That's probably it in a nutshell. What do you think, Justin? Justin's probably got, probably got something to add.
2: No, 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 sounds good. That's exactly right. <laughs> Well,
0: I would buy my ticket now if I didn't already have one arranged for the end of June. But listen, Absolutely, it yeah. gave me chills just hearing about that. It's And what year was this that you wrote it, Susie?
1: I wrote it and it won an award before it went on stage, actually, in Australia um, at the Griffin Theatre here. And so they staged in 2019. And then, of course, I went straight to London because I do do a lot of work between London and Sydney. And Justin and I had this conversation and then I spoke to my producer and... is james beerman and then before you know it was already packaged ready to go we just we were just looking at casting and then the pandemic happened which was oh great we nearly got there and then oh hello two years inside in different continents so i got stuck in australia so (laughs) i wish you couldn't leave or get back into in australia there were no flights i literally could not get out
0: that's right because wasn't there like very few cases at the time yeah, in Australia because it's an island. Yeah.
1: We just sort of closed off, but you, you could not. You had to get permission to leave the country, and then you, there was no guarantee you could come back. <laughs> but what, worse than that is there were no flights. You could not get on a flight because no one came or went. Like so, it was real isolation. But you know, in the, it throughout all that time, Justin and James and I, we were zooming away and doing and casting. We spoke to a couple of people about casting, and then. Justin came up with the idea of Jodie. (laughs) And my first instinct was, oh, the woman from Killing Eve, oh, no way, you know. And then, of course, everyone being so politely British, no one asked me why until the end of the conversation where Justin pipes up in his very gentlemanly voice. Well, why, why not Judy Comer? I said, well, why would we cast a Russian actor? And he's like, she's not Russian. She's perfect for this. She's actually from Liverpool. We can play with the oral landscape. It's going to be amazing. And I was like, oh, this is a gift. (laughs) So, yeah.
0: She's known as being a bit of a master of accent work. Well,
1: such a a master that I just assumed she was Russian because she does such a (laughs) Russian accent. So, yeah.
0: Can you say who else you were thinking of when you thought of this role?
2: it's complicated because we knew that we wanted it to be working class a working class character and there's an authenticity to that that we really needed to think about so we were looking at working class actresses within the context of the of England and it's tr- it's tricky because obviously you know the financial burden on trying to be in the arts when you're working class is is complicated and the in the past there were lots of schemes for that particularly there was a period of time in the 80s where that was really helped along and they just they just don't exist in the same way anymore so mm-hmm. it, it was it was a smaller pool than we'd expected but you know as as always we, i just knew the right person would connect i'd never seen killing eve until lockdown happened and I, for the it was the first week of it and i watched it and i went i think that's her She's just inherently theatrical and then watching interviews with her, where she was talking about what, what, she, why she does what she does, and the way that she approaches art, I just went, "You, there's something about you that's so extraordinary and special." And I think, you know, you're a little bit younger than what we thought the character was, but the pandemic sort of helped us out in that a little bit. <laughs> Jim, Emma, yeah. um, but also, there was something about it, and she read it. You know, literally, we sent it. Her agent read it on a Wednesday. She got it on the Friday, and she'd read it, and wanted to meet on the Monday. Wanted to meet Susie on the Monday, and I just knew the right person would go. I have to do this because it is a terrifying prospect. Yeah. Going, you know, am I? Can I be on stage on my own? And there's no one else. It's just me. And you know, Jody has that amazingness. I, 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 I she's fearless, but she's not. She does get fearful. It's just her way of responding to that is to dive into it. And I'm okay. so in awe of She's her. She's
1: courageous. Friend. She's courageous and bold. I tell her every day, almost. You are the most courageous, bold person because I couldn't yeah. get out there and do that in a pink beard. Could anyone else?
0: <laughs> no. I I have no idea how she did it. Yeah. I was. I think it's one of the best performances I've ever seen on stage in my life. I mean, you both probably agree. Oh. I mean, and you you helped her. You you got her there too. I mean, I seriously was in awe. She started and. I think I was, I was buckled in on the ride for the entire experience. And there's some incredible, incredible, I mean, the direction is phenomenal, Justin, and I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen it yet, but there are the way the set is used and the way she gets to sort of like play with the room and that very fabulous effect that comes in about halfway through really just elevates everything. And Bravo to you both on such a wonderful piece. And I, I really think everyone, if they can see it, needs to see it. And will the filmed version be available to see at all again? Maybe in the States at some point, do you know? As the the NT Live? Version,
1: yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Uh, we, the, obviously, Susie's in the process of making the film. And I think once it goes to that, I mean, it's available for all school kids within the UK. And that's something that is an initiative that Susie was very behind. And I think was really important because for us it's it's you know i mean what the thing that connected us really was that uh, a naive belief that theater can change the world and that mm. we established that at that first meeting that we met and that our interest in that and in the ways it can do that and so that's always been it, like the jungle the play asked the question and we wanted to make sure there are answers you know we don't have the full extent of what the answers are but we wanted to give a space for people who are going okay what now and we did that through the school's consent project which is uh, an initiative based in the uk that's just moving into new york which has been a sort of phenomenal thing about getting into barristers who from a similar background to susie going i want to you know, I do this for a living, but I want to talk about it. I want to help bring change because the system doesn't necessarily help me. How can I do that? And so these young barristers, or sorry, barristers of all age going into schools and teaching kids about what other, what are the actual laws of consent? Cause that's not really taught. And then, um, but they're even, you know, more recently, it's like there's a law called the Tessa law, which we're, they're trying to push in through the UK. And then every judge, training judge in Northern Ireland will have to watch the film. So we're trying to find different ways in which it's available to the next generation or, you know, in, in any way that it, that it can help and and sort of bring about change, I suppose.
1: Yeah, it's amazing that that stuff happens.
0: Your goal that theatre can change the world, that it's happening. And, and hats off to both of you.
1: <laughs> no, I am <was> just going <laughs> to add in that, you know, like you talked about, like that very first conversation with Justin, his theatrical language was exactly my language and then he went away read the play and his thoughts for it was so right on but the two things that you've mentioned or at least one that you've mentioned the halfway mark staging event and then at the end there's something quite phenomenal that happens with the stage both of those justin spoke about and that very first conversation after he read it they were his insights and his theatrical language for the show and they are brilliant i mean they to me they just said. You get it, you get it, you get it. I love it when a director comes to a play and adds a level of genius that's not in the play but is inspired by the play to emphasise what the play wants to say and to emphasise it in a sensory fashion, which is what directors can do so brilliantly. And I think both of those events on stage were Justin's genius. And, you know, for me as the playwright, seeing that come to life Honestly, I think I was more thrilled by that than anything else in my life. Just watching those two things come about and the staging process come together.
0: Mm. I can imagine the elation you would feel because I, I'm i sure that in creative processes, sometimes you have to sacrifice bits of your vision or your dream in order to make it actually come to life. And to have it be elevated in that way is probably lucky.
1: It's it's rare that a director at first read already has those insights into, I know what you want to say. You want to say how many other people this has happened to. You want to say how vulnerable someone is at a certain stage and I think both of those events, aside from the whole staging, which is phenomenal, and, you know, great directors, designers, I mean, sorry, great designers working with Justin, who he chose to work with, have done a phenomenal job. But I think um, just the fact that he had those insights upon reading the, the play for the first time and that he could articulate those to me, just made me realize that we communicate and we're seeing the same thing just with different lens you know like he's seeing it also it allowed me to have a conversation with a man about the themes in the play you know it's the sort of play that you were like everyone says oh why was there not a woman director and I went "Does this director got it and we started a conversation that opened it up to young men as well as young women it actually is a conversation that women need to have to actually be able to process narratives, but it's also a conversation that men need to be part of because without them as part of that conversation, the scenario doesn't change. Like it goes on and on. They don't see something that they can't unsee. And I think you'll recognize that's a bit of a line from the play.
0: (laughs) Yes. I think it's on the merchandise too, right?
2: What are you talking about?
0: (laughs) On the book. (laughs) Anyway. I'm curious about the inclusion of of self-esteem and the soundtrack that was written to sort of be a part of it all. Whose idea was that? And when did that come into the, to the play?
2: So James Beerman, our producer put together a list of, uh composers that he was that he thought might be interested and we talked about what we sort of were looking for and i i had i knew a bit of her work but i didn't know her particularly well and i just uh i listened to it straight away and there was a rhythmicness to it that felt very connected to this uh what i felt the show needed to feel like and then listening to her album you just went well you know this is she's talking in the same world she, again she's a working class woman from outside of london this feels like it's perfect and i and i spoke to james and james where that's who i want it to be Had you know we and so we went okay well let's meet her and then he had a hilarious meeting with her manager in which she kept popping on going i want to do it and then leaving and her manager kept going what are you talking about we know oh, yeah we just want to talk about it and she kept so it was a very it was just again it's like mm-hmm. uh, i always think i mean she she read the play and went i have to do this this is what my album's about and so it was sort of just an understanding of of the play and what it wanted to say and the way in which it did it, it you know. Yeah. You know. And so we had a we had a very and we had a lovely time with her because she she came in with a sort of um, brilliantly um, suspicious perception of what theatre can be when it's bad. And there's certain sound effects. She's like, if you if you make me do a sound effect like this, I will not be doing it. I'm not going to do the sound effect because certain people will know from other shows, but she was exactly right. And she had, she found her own way through it and it was sort of such a joy to watch uh, her just, you know, read it, um, respond to what we talked about in regards to what we thought it to be and then make this thing. And, and I remember her sending her, the first, I think she sent the, sec- the second song, she sent the, the opening one, which is the beginning of the show. And then the one about mum, and i just this is it you're, it's perfect you know you're you what you're doing is right you totally get this as well so it's it was just a lot of like minded people coming together and and then a whole group of my mates like, that's what it felt like a group of mates coming yeah. together and making a yeah.
1: fun. and like i can just add about <laughs> rebecca there who rebecca lucy taylor who is self esteem i mean she's become one of my best girlfriends now i just adore her like she's just a the biggest heart and the biggest enthusiastic life loving person and she's just everything. You know, I just sit with her in the theatre and we just cry together and hold each other's hands and, like, laugh at the jokes. And she's just also, I don't know, she is what you see is what she is. She's just this big, fabulous kind of, like, personality. I love her.
2: She just wants you to do karaoke all the time, which is really intimidating.
1: Because <laughs> she's, like, she's such a great singer. I know. It's like, no way am I singing with you. Yeah
2: i i really want her to i mean she, she's starting to get known in the us but i think that the us will just fall in love with her because i think she's speaking a language that transcends it all but she's doing it in a very entertaining way oh, I, I
0: i don't know if that's going to be the case but i hope that the music is part of the film version with with cynthia revo that's going to be happening which I'm curious about, Susie, when when did this all happen, this this idea to turn it into a feature film?
1: You know, when the very first time the show went on in Australia, the film rights were sold straight away. So it's been happening since then. And, wow. um, you know, and we've just held back on any release because we just wanted I wanted to really enjoy the, the play and the theatre process and and, and you know, I like just really honor that. So this is only a recent thing because they've waited so long to before they've released it. But it's a whole different journey, and you know it's a very different thing. Everyone, all the characters come to life. And of course, Cynthia Rivo is a complete adds another level of that conversation for me, which is about race, which she has absolutely interrogated. So you know it's a different, it's a different story in a way, but the same bones.
0: Mm, that's extraordinary yeah it was it was such curious news when that came when that happened everyone thought oh why not Jody? why not Jody? but then that piece about race I think is so prescient and you know it's very timely it kind of reminds me a little bit of um that Michaela Cole HBO series yeah um I may destroy you is that what it was called
1: yeah that came Mm -hmm. out while I think we were in lockdown didn't it Justin because we were really aware of that at the time um I love that show and I love Michaela as well she's just such a star I love her. Oh, yes. She does everything. She writes and she acts and she does the whole lot. <laughs>
0: so, <laughs> yeah, and she's in Marvel movies now, too. So she's... <laughs> Wait, so I'm thinking, I, I need you to just, Connor and I are a bit of Anglophiles. So there's this whole bit about when you're from Liverpool, you're called a scouse. Yeah. Yes. So is, is that is it not, I've, I've also heard the word Liverpudlian. Yeah. Is that something different?
1: Well, no, it's the same thing, isn't it? I mean, I think if you're a scouse, you, your accent is scouse where you wouldn't okay. speak liverpudlian <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah i mean i've i mean i know we both justin and i know Jody's parents very well now because they've come to lots of events and they're just so much fun but sometimes when she's with her family and they're all talking honestly i need subtitles as an australian <laughs> i'm like what <laughs> <laughs> we're speaking that's so funny and none of us can understand each other so <laughs> <laughs> it's great
0: that's amazing. Well, so we mentioned earlier, theater can change the world. And mm-hmm. and that that ideal being instilled in both of you had to have happened at some point. And we like to sort of dig back to maybe the roots of when you had a moment that really affirmed where your path was leading you to work in the arts. And I know that Susie, you've had a bit of a broken road to the arts, but mm-hmm. what we we'd like to call it the Ring of Keys moment. And that's mm-hmm. based on the musical fun home for those listeners who have not heard our podcast before. You know the song Ring of Keys, it's when young Allison identifies herself with someone and and sees life in a new way that feels like it should have been that way all along and um, i'm curious maybe we'll start with justin since we've been exhausting susie for a little bit do you have a ring of keys moment justin where you realize that a life in the arts was one for you
2: i think for me it's always about stages so the the the, the first one i remember was being in a geography class in year eight and then and and doing a presentation and the teacher coming up and saying uh you should probably be doing theater (laughs) um and have you thought about drama as a as a because I obviously did it in a very theatrical way I can't remember what I did but I I'm sure it was so I think that was probably the first one and then I was always I said to my mum what what's a person who makes things and she said I think that's an engineer so I I thought about being an engineer for a long time and I did a lot of work experience with engineers and then at the last minute before we had to I'm Australian as well and at the last minute before I had to make a choice about what university preferences i was going to do i someone spoke to me at our our final sort of graduation and uh he said what do you really want to do and i said i think i want to do theatre and he said why not and i said well there's no work in it and he said well why not and he sort of just kept interrogating me at the end i realized the reason was because i'd not selected the right course mm-hmm. so i moved i moved across from there and i don't know that the sort of um connecting to audiences now and and sort of making it relevant to the world has always been there because i think it's how to have a conversation about what's going on and that doesn't mean that there's not space for entertainment because I think there is but um, I think we've got to have both I think you can also talk to the world because the other phrase that Susie and I talk a lot about is how to get us off the arts pages because I think theatre can sometimes get very self-inward looking and I don't think a lot of the world cares when we get in those sort of conversations so I think when we can talk beyond it as shows like Fun Home do you suddenly go oh it's talking to the world and it's talking beyond our community and I think that's when it gets you know, get special. So we've got to always try and get theater off the arts pages and we've got to try and, you know, naively make it change the world.
0: That's beautiful. Was there a show or something that you saw at that age when you were in year eight or maybe sooner that you remember vividly being like, Ooh, I love this.
2: I, I saw, um, I saw some show, I think I saw big river or something when I was a kid and my, I went with my grandmother and she sung every song and I remember being so embarrassed. So I was so after that, I was like, musicals are not my thing. And then it took me until I did Billy Elliot to go, oh, yeah, they are again, because I sort of started understanding the power of them. Mm. But I don't know. No, I don't. I don't particularly know. I didn't see a lot of theatre as a kid. I loved doing it and being around it and being in that community, creating stuff because it was an intersection of people and ideas. But I, but uh, no, there wasn't a particular show. I remember well. No, I spoke when I remember turning nineteen and seeing Proof mm. and think yeah. and, and absolutely having a massive crush on the actress in Australia, having never met her. And I was like, how can I have a crush on someone I've never met? And there was something just so intoxicating about that character. So, maybe that was part of that. Was all again, it's stages of a journey.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. Thank you for indulging us. Now, Susie, (laughs) do you feel you had a moment?
1: Uh, Interesting. I have such a different story, but in ways it kind of connects to Justin's, which I never knew. And first of all, when I met Justin, I didn't even know he was Australian. We didn't have, we didn't get to that conversation. Um, (laughs) But so,
2: I was, I was English, and Jenny was Russian. It was brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I
1: had no sense who anyone was right. I thought I was somewhere else as well. Um, but look, you know, it's so interesting because I grew up really working class, where I never went to the theatre. I didn't have drama at my school at all, so I never, went, I never knew anything about theatre except that I re- when I was in year ten, I was asked to. I did ballet because I had really weird walking, so I did ballet as a sort of, as some sort of, like some sort of, um, I guess physiotherapy. But I loved the dance, and I loved improvisation but i remember um in year 10 we had a we had a visiting teacher that went to some disadvantaged schools and did some sort of english creative writing process with with the kids and she asked us to like make ironically because i'm on a podcast make write a story that you can read onto a tape cassette and then bring the tape cassette in and we'll play them as stories and see how they hear and i loved doing it so much with my tapes i wrote it i, I I was a little actor then obviously i didn't realize that um and she loved what i did and said oh you know you you know you should be you should be a writer basically but also said and i, I thought i just loved audiences and so that's why i ended up in law probably but interestingly the, the show that there were two plays that really affected me and one was proof because of course i have a science law background so i never even knew that about justin but i remember thinking they're talking about mathematics on stage this is amazing and so I love that but the other thing that I saw I saw Far Side of the Moon by Robert Lepage, who I went on to work with many years later but there's a there's a staging at the end of that and it's all about his mother dying and it's I don't know if people know it but it's the most beautiful exploration of humanity and a reaching out about grief and at the end he does that. he's sitting at an airport and he he basically does this thing where he has a mirror and the sort of chairs of the airport, and he does this movement where it looks like he's walking in space. And I remember thinking, if you can make someone make me believe you are walking on the moon... On stage in live performance without anything but a mirror and a chair, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life, which tells you again, right back to the circular conversation I had with Justin, where he talked about those two events in the piece that we've in Prima Facie. And I thought, you get it. You've added something that is visceral and physical to words that say something, but you've amplified them with this beauty and with this really human gesture. And so I think it was the human gestures and the way that you can stage that and make it big and make it reach into people's hearts and touch them so that they actually do see something that they might not have seen before and i remember that moment with rebella page thinking i want to make that that's what i want to do and so i think that was the end of my law degree my law my law career right then in that moment without realizing it <laughs>
0: wow wow <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Um, we Just because we're running on time here now, Justin, I've got to ask about The Inheritance. It's one of my favorite plays. Were, were you involved with it from its first mounting or did you jump in later?
2: The first workshop of it, uh, we did a workshop when it was still at the, f- the first theater that commissioned it because Matthew had been taking it around trying to find a, a theater to do it and someone to commission it and nobody did. And then a, a woman called Elizabeth Williamson And the theatre she's working at took it on. And so we did a workshop. And at the time, the thought was from that theatre was, oh, we just want to do part one, see how it goes, and then we'll do part two. And Stephen and I came to this week workshop and went, no, you've got to do it all in one go or nothing. And then it sort of went through various iterations. So, yeah, at that time, it was the first half was five, six hours, and the second half was eight. We tried to read the second half in a day, and we had to skip bits because we needed to get to Margaret, who's the character who comes at the end. We are like, oh, this poor actress has been waiting around all day and we're not going to get to her. So we had to skip the middle of it. And obviously it came down to be three, what is it, just over three in a bit on both. Um, but yeah, it was an amazing, I, even that first workshop, you went, there's something special here. And and I remember Stephen, the director, talking to me and uh, telling me, who I've worked with him for a long time, but he's telling me about an experience about, being in New York City as a young man and the choices that he had to make. And if he'd stayed in the city at that time, then he may not be with us today. And I was profoundly moved by the idea that somebody who's been a mentor and a friend for a long time would might not be in my life. And so we just had to do it. Wow. It was so great. I mean, I remember finishing part one and
0: seeing into the audience men crying, crying their eyes out, so moved by the piece. actually as we're talking about it reminds me of something that happens at the end
2: of prima facie so anyway interesting Ooh, little, little tease, little tease. But I- yeah but a bit like a bit like prima facie i mean both of them the thing that i i want to sort of get across is that they're also wildly entertaining like the inheritance was really funny but it did really yeah. i think prima facie has that same it, it uses uh, Susie so cleverly uses humor and levity to to find a way to talk about things so it's not just a dour conversation actually it's a really riveting exciting conversation and yeah it's it's really interesting I mean that that moment uh, and, and I've only ever felt that in your into into those two plays where you have a collective sense of I suppose the inheritance is about grief or inherited grief um, and Prima facie is similar in that way. And it, it is so humbling to be a, in, in, involved in shows that are able to connect people to that and make them feel have a collective experience of that in the hope that we, the shared experience makes us better because there is a community out there. That's you know that we are, are a part of, and sometimes it's very hard to feel a part of a community in the world today.
0: Yeah, for sure, that's beautiful, Susie. You mentioned you got to eventually work with Robert Lapage, oh, yeah. and you also we also have in here that which I didn't put this in your bio, but I find it fascinating. You were mentored by the great Edward Albee. It
1: was and, amazing because you're yeah. in the Falcons right? So you know mm-hmm. Yorkers. Oh right? gosh,
0: <laughs> what was that? What were some of the big takeaways from being under his his tutelage?
1: You know, there were some really amazing things. He was a really, really, really brilliant man, like a very, very fine brain. He was quite elderly by the time I was mentored by him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I came to New York and spent quite a lot of time with him and in his apartment where he has had the most incredible artwork hanging on the walls that I just assumed were like prints and they're all originals. There was a Picasso <laughs> on his bathroom door. And the takeaways for me were a few things. One is he said, you know, like playwrights need to know that it's also literature, that you, you own the copyright and you need to hang on to that for dear life because it means that no one else gets to change your words but you. And there was something quite like you didn't realize that screen was different in that way until I went into screen. And then the other thing was, um, He used to talk about taking a a metaphorical dog for a metaphorical walk on a metaphorical beach and have your ideas. Like that's how you let your ideas dream and then really gather Mm -hmm. it in your mind before you actually put pen to paper, really gather what you want to do. And for me, it was the first time anyone had spoken about the way that I write, which is basically just to sort of really get the guts of it happening in my head in that first line, like the first line of Prima facie, which is actually thoroughbreds like that happened and then I went right now I can write the play and you know it was because of that advice from Edward if I really think back because he said just take your time because you can write it quickly once it's all coalesced in your head and that's very true actually so that was the second thing and the third thing was that I remember he was so fabulous you know at 89 a gay man in Sydney Australia with his hearing aid and everything and I said you know I you know how have you coped since the death of your partner and his partner was 15 years younger than him and had died of cancer he was an artist and he he said yeah you know i'm you know i'm doing okay but you know i'm not dating yet and i thought wow there's so much optimism in that statement for an 89 year old gay man <laughs> And I went good for you. Like you really know, yeah. There's real possibilities ahead for you. And there were. He went on to write things before he passed away that were, you know, did very well. But it was just his own person. And he had this great story where he talked about him and Tennessee Williams how they used to go to each other's opening night, and there'd be a little little word or a little phrase in each of their plays that was just for each other. And they had to. there was like a an expedition where you had to find the line that was for you that would make you laugh or smile or have a wry kind of like inside into their lives and I wish I'd asked him what they were that's my only regret I think I wish I'd known I said tell me what they are because I was just what a great idea that's so cool but yeah he was an incredible man and he had a big impact on me actually so you know all all credit to him
0: Mm. oh that's really special. That's oh my goodness. Thank you for <laughs> passing on those little nuggets that he he shared with you as well. Wow, the two of you, you know, I was nervous at the beginning. Now I just feel like I'm with old friends. Like I just feel like the two of you have just made this this experience so wonderful because although the subject matter there's a bit of a content warning before the play and everything, the way that the two of you were able to deliver that message and even speak about it today has been so refreshing. And so optimistic, and showing that the change can really come from the art that you're putting out there in the world. So thank you both so much, and our our listeners on drama are going to absolutely adore the two of you. <laughs> I know. I feel like we're sadly wrapping up here, but before we say goodbye, we do like to end on a dose of drama, a little something to leave our listeners with the drama that's been on your heart and your mind. It could be something you've been binge watching, something you want to promote, rant about, rave about, just share and put out into the world. And my dose of drama is more of like a question here, because as I'm going through, you know, both of your careers and your bios that Dylan wrote up here, I have got to ask about The Crown, Justin, because how many episodes did you direct?
2: I, I worked on season one and two. The Claire Foy years. Claire Foy years. Yeah, Stephen and I worked on that together. And that yeah, it feels like a, a distant memory now, but it's it was a sort of brilliant Exciting time because we were really fi- figuring out what the show was and, and how to tell this crazy story. And it was a bit further away so from us, so it was not living memory for a lot of people.
0: Yeah. Did they know that they were going to do, like, different queens in multiple seasons at that time or were they kind of just like we're going to make season one and see where this goes no
2: there the, had always been a, a conversation that at some point you'd have to shift queens just for age and we knew that every season was going to be about a decade
0: very cool I loved it I loved Claire she was amazing and then she comes in and she guest stars in like season three or four and she nabs up an Emmy a guest Emmy for like that one little scene she's a Claire Foy yeah, is, is a genius we love Claire, <laughs>
1: Claire
0: I love her so much. But anyway, thank you for your contribution to the crown. I think you're doing one more season, right? I think Dylan would
2: probably know. Well, i back to do the last episode. And i I'm not I'm not involved because I've got enough one at the moment. But he's uh yeah, he's doing one. He's doing the last last episode of the series. No pressure. No
0: pressure. That's yeah. incredible. My dose of drama is inspired by some a conversation that Justin and I were having before. We started recording. I have a book recommendation for anybody who's looking to read a little celebrity memoir this summer, Australian drag superstar Courtney Act.
1: Oh, she's amazing. I love her. So
0: amazing, right? <laughs> she wrote a, a beautiful memoir called Caught in the Act, and it talks about coming into her own as a superstar. It is funny. It is heartwarming. It's educational. And it now makes me want to visit sydney and oh, come. Come to australia at some please point.
1: come <laughs> please come i can show you all around
0: <laughs> oh i'm we'll, gonna take we'll you need up a tour guide there. for sure i know i can't believe we've never been dylan Yeah, come on down. it's a 23 hour oh just a little jump over i've got sydney on the brain now i'm like i can't believe i miss world pride in sydney you know
1: i know and it was amazing like it was just Great, great time in Sydney. Sydney just came alive and it was post-COVID. It was brilliant. But my little plugs are right now I'm in rehearsal for my next play, Jail Baby, which is about a young boy who goes to prison and what and just it's an interrogation of the prison system um Mm -hmm. but my other thing is that I'm upset I was just obsessed with the dialogue writing in a in sixth session and the last uh the last season so Mm -hmm. I've been binging and going back and looking at things and thinking I want to read the script now and of course I know Sarah Snook because she's Australian and so just watching her in action and I haven't watched it yet so no
2: spoilers oh
1: Oh, okay, I, 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 was gonna say, the I predicted time. who came out ahead at the end, but not in the way it happened. So I thought that was interesting. But a pair, but especially the news, the the newsroom episode. My husband and I were on different continents at the time, and he'd watched it just before me. And I got a text going, "I've just watched it, and I feel ill." And I thought, oh whoa why and then when i watched it, i went me too (laughs) like is this really possible so um it was just too realistic for words but um yeah yeah, so i've loved watching that and i'm in rehearsals so that's why i'm a bit bleary eyed and sleeping in a bit too much and you know then back over to london to work again with justin which i'm very excited about oh (laughs) i did
2: not realize there was going to be another collaboration we've got a couple (laughs) of ideas kicking around <laughs> uh, my yeah. Desert Drama is a book that I'm reading and I'm about halfway through it called Shuggy Bane by Douglas. Stewart, ah, yeah. amazing. It's terrific. That, ca- that central character is unbelievable. I just think. Mm-hmm. So
1: yeah. Book of Prize winning. Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah. For his debut novel, right? That's right. And people have been talking about it for so long and it's like unbelievable to finally actually read it. And she's so intoxicating as a character. Mm-hmm. It's,
0: I believe it's going to be adapted for some. I don't know what you're talking um, about. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> okay. Well, listen. <laughs> Whoa, ho, ho. You two are <laughs> fabulous. Thank you so much for your work on this play, but also for this amazing conversation. I just want the best for you both. Best of luck at the Tonys on Sunday. I think Jody's going to win. If My I prediction is Jody's I
1: winning.
2: So. Fingers crossed.
1: I hope so. We really hope so. Oh, she deserves it. She really <laughs> our does.
2: Our amazing design team. I mean, they're all phenomenal. We we, we were just lucky yeah. with that group of people who would not... They're
1: like family now. Yeah, yeah it's, it's
2: amazing. So, uh, Again, it's like getting our mates together and having a good time, which I well, wish all theatre was like that. And it often is, but, you know, it, that was really such an extraordinary experience, and now you're getting the band
0: back together for something. So we'll see what yeah, happens. Don't know what you're talking <laughs> about. <laughs> A little, little. Well, Justin, of drama. sweet <laughs> dreams, and Susie, good morning.
1: <laughs> coffee time. Coffee time.
0: If you're on social media, where can
2: people find you?
1: Oh, oh, good, good question. I'm on Instagram. It's Susie Miller Writer. Justin, I
2: don't know what mine is, but yeah, I'm on. I'm on. i'm somewhere there
0: (laughs) we'll put it in the notes below and of course if everyone can go and see prima facie it's running through end of june early july here in new york city and soon to be a film and there's so much more to come thank you both for your time and everyone who's listening be sure to follow us at the drama podcast leave a little rating and a review and connor is at connor mcdowell i am at dylan mcdowell thank you justin and susie this has been such a delight and Mm -hmm. connor I will see you next time. Drama.